You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, everybody. Well, let's pray and let's get into the Word. I'm, I'm ready. I missed, missed y'all last week, so I'm ready for the, the Word and ready to teach a little bit. Amen. All right. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and faithfulness in our lives. Father, thank you for this, another opportunity to gather together in your name. And Father, we thank you for the promise that the Lord Jesus made to us when he said that he would be right here in our midst. And Lord, I thank you there's no time nor distance in the spirit. And so, Lord, I thank you that you are here with me, just like you are here with every one of of our friends and family that are on this Bible study. And Lord, I thank you that the same anointing is there that is with me. And Lord, we believe to receive tonight. We believe to be taught by the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for revelation and insight to flow freely. Lord, I believe that we all will have ears to hear and hearts to do what you minister to us. And Father, I thank you that our lives will be changed because of it. We believe it, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this is uh, week number three in our our series called Faith, a Refresher Study. And so we're going back, and we're hitting some some highlights and looking at some things. So I want to take just a couple of minutes and, and do some reviews. So quickly, turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Hebrews 11, 1, and let's look at the definition of faith uh, that the Bible gives us. Many of you know this scripture by heart, Hebrews 11, mm-hmm. 1, and let's answer the question, or let the Bible answer the question, rather, what is faith? So Hebrews mm-hmm. 11, 1 says this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or proof of things not seen. I like the Amplified Bible of that same verse says this, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. And so again, that Amplified definition is is lengthy, but it's very good in that it breaks it down. So faith is what gives us the proof that what we believe for, that what we have prayed for, what we receive from God's word, even though we don't see it in the natural realm, it still belongs to us and it is ours and we possess it. And so again, you know, again, the New King James says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So let's talk briefly about what is hope. And to do that, let me read the Passion Translation of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. It says this, Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. So we need to understand, for us to understand how faith operates, we need to understand how hope operates. As it says, now faith brings our hopes into reality. So 
Hope is this. Hope is a positive expectation of something that is yet to happen. It's something in the future. And and a good way to kind of remember this is that hope always puts things in the future, whereas faith says it's now. Now, I know in Hebrews 11.1, the word now there is a connection uh, to the previous phrase, but you could remember it this way in the sense that Faith is now. Faith is always now. Hope is always in the future. And so that's a good way to remember it and to be able to keep it in the right perspective. You know, uh, again, uh, all of us who attend our church, you know that I close out the service using that that old phrase that Or Roberts used to use on TV every week by saying something good is going to happen to you this week. And what I'm trying to do is to build people's hopes. I want there to be an expectation that something good is going to happen. And so hope is very, very important because you cannot have faith without first having hope. And as we looked uh, the last time we were together a couple of weeks ago, we found out how God always works to build our hopes and then brings us to a place of faith. And we studied some things from the life of Abraham and began to look at that. We looked at how God began to reveal the promise to him and began to say to him, I'll make you the father of many nations and so forth and so on, again, being in the future. And so God began to build that hope on the inside of Abraham and uh, then, you know, we talked about how the change happened later on, several chapters later for us, where God made a statement and he said, now I have made you the father of many nations. So at that point, it changed from just a promise of hope to where it was now a statement of faith. But another uh, definition of hope is this, hope is a blueprint or a model. You know, we guys, we're not uh, always real good about this, but you know, when you order something and, and uh, let's use an Ikea piece of furniture, uh, you know, they give you those instructions. They give you the picture of what it's supposed to look like when it's completed. And, and of course we guys, we, we don't, we just go ahead and start building it and, uh, inevitably somehow end up with extra screws and nuts and bolts and stuff and don't know where they go. But, what hope does, hope is that blueprint. Hope is the instructions. It's the picture that shows you what you are believing for, what it will look like, what it's going to look like in the future. Hope is very, very important in the sense of it's connected with your imagination. God gave you your imagination to work with hope in order to provide that picture for you of what your life can look like. So when we find in the word that the scriptures declare that by his stripes, we are healed. If we're struggling with sickness and disease, then what hope does is begins to build that image on the inside of us, of, of us what our life would look like or will look like when we are free from that disease. Now, again, it keeps it out in the future, but it still gives us that image. What faith does, though, on the other hand, is takes those future realities of hope and brings it into the present and says this, I know that because Jesus took my sicknesses, bore my diseases, that by his stripes, 
I am healed now. Healing belongs to me now. So you can see the difference between hope and faith. Hope is the ability to imagine what is going to happen. And so then we talked a little bit about how does faith come? How do we receive faith? And we looked at how when you got born again, according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, God deposited on the inside of your recreated human spirit a measure of his faith. He put his faith down on the inside of you so that we all start with the same raw material. We all start with the same measure of faith, and then it's up to us to feed it and develop it and cause it to grow. And then we looked over at, at Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, where Paul wrote and said, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so what we talked about then was the fact that your faith is fed as you hear and receive the word of God. Faith is also developed and grows as you exercise your faith, as you use your faith, just like uh, muscles in your body. We talked about it's important that the, the we recognize that at the end of Romans 10, 17, that it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that phrase word of God is the Greek word rhema. So really faith comes into our hearts when revelation comes, when that word becomes real to us, when it becomes real to us on the inside of our hearts is when faith becomes present. And so you don't pray for faith. You don't ask God to give you more faith. No, if you need to develop your faith, you feed it and you exercise it. You feed it and you exercise it. Okay, so I want to say this to you. The principles of faith are the same in every area. So it doesn't matter if you are uh, looking for healing, if you're looking for provision, if you're looking for something that God has provided for you that in the word of God to receive it in your life. The principles of faith work the same across the board. So you don't have different principles where healing is concerned. You don't have different principles where uh, prosperity is concerned. Now, there might be some actions that are different, but faith all works the same in all of those areas. You know, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all of those things come into our lives through and by faith. So when we learn the principles of faith, it becomes easier and easier for us to receive whatever it is that we need from God. So uh, as we become developed and skilled in these things, then it becomes easier for us to receive. So the principles and laws of God, now this is very, very important, and I want you to get this. The principles and laws of God are consistent. They work the same way every time. And if you can learn how to work the principles of God, then they will work for you every single time. So that's why it's important that we understand these things. Now, there's a, a lady who lived at the early part of the 20th century who was a medical doctor who got miraculously healed, and uh, she went on to become a healing teacher and minister. Uh, her name is Dr. Lillian Yeoman, and she said this, if I pray for any one thing or I pray just one time for anything and I don't get it, I start changing. 
I start changing because if I pray and that prayer is not answered, there will have to be a change before the answer comes. In other words, you know, if you pray and you do not receive the answer, then don't look to God to change. Look in your life and and your believing and see where there's a disconnect. Find out where there's an issue. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. She goes on to say, and I know that there can't be any change with God because he never changes. So if there is any change, it has to be on my end. So if I pray and do not receive, then I start changing. So again, the principles of faith work the same all the time. So if there's a disconnect, if there's a, you know, we're not seemingly making the progress and receiving the answer that we desire to receive, then understand this, that the changing needs to take place on our end, not on God's end. All right, so we're all caught up. Now I want to talk about something. So go over with me to Romans chapter 10, please. Romans chapter 10. I want to look at verses 8 through 10, which you're all familiar with. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. And Paul writing to the church at Rome, he said this, uh, beginning in verse 8, but what does it say? And this is talking about faith. Uh, verse six says, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. So I want you to notice something right there. Notice he did not even mention that the word is in your head. The word is in your mind. Now, the word passes through your mind, but the word needs to get down into your heart. So he says again that the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And then here's what we know. Uh, it's called the Roman road to salvation. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, listen to this phrase. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now, here's what I want you to see from these verses, and that is this. It is possible for you and me as a believer to have faith in your heart and doubt in your head and your faith still work. Okay, and I will say that again. It is possible for us as believers to have faith in our heart and doubt in our head, but your faith can still work. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, notice what he said. Where does believing take place? Verse 10 says, for with the heart one believes, or the spirit of man is what he's talking about. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness or unto healing or whatever it might be. So believing takes place in your heart. Faith is in your heart and not in your head, okay? Now, here's where, uh, and we'll talk more about this later on in future lessons, but a lot of people think that they're operating in faith, but really what they're operating is, is in the old timers used to call it mental ascent. In other words, they think they're in faith, but they really believe it here and are not convinced here. 
And there's a difference. Faith is of the heart, not of the head. Now go with me over to Mark's gospel, the 11th chapter, please. Mark's gospel, the 11th chapter. And, and listen, I'll say this to you. Nobody other than you and God know when faith is in your heart. Okay. Other people can't, can't judge that. They can't determine that, can't discern that. Only God knows what's really going on in your heart, and you know what's really going on in your heart. So you know, really, if you're brutally honest, you know when you're trying to operate on head knowledge and believing with what you have in your mind versus the word and, and faith that is in your heart, okay? So Mark chapter 11, and we'll, we're going to teach more on these scriptures later in, in future lessons, but look at verse 23. Now, D Jesus has cursed the fig tree. The disciples have pointed it out to him that he was successful, that the fig tree withered up. And uh, so verse 22, Jesus responded and he said, have the faith of God. Verse 23, now listen to this carefully. Remember what I always say, pay attention to the details, okay? All right, so uh, Jesus said this, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his what? His heart, okay? He does not doubt in his heart, but believes. And we've already established where believing takes place, and that is in your heart. So he says that, that he who does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, you can have thoughts of doubt that come into your mind. We all do. But if you don't let those thoughts of doubt get down into your heart, they will not bear fruit and will not hinder your faith. Now, somebody says, well, then how do thoughts of doubt get into my heart? Well, you've heard me say this before, and uh, Willie George had the best illustration of this. He used to teach, when he was doing children's ministry, he used to teach the kids by saying it this way, that the devil comes and will try and plant Thoughts of doubt in your mind, but if you don't let those thoughts ride the elevator of your mouth, they will not get down into your heart, okay? So if you don't put words to those thoughts of doubt, they'll die unborn. They'll, they'll disintegrate and lose their power, okay? So again, all of us have thoughts of doubt. You know, it's not going to work this time. Well, if you don't pay attention to that and ignore it, and, uh, you know, even maybe quote the word of God, what God's word says, in spite of that, you're blocking those thoughts of doubt from being able to get down into your heart. Now, the thing that you don't want to have happen is allow doubt to get down in your heart, because here's what happens. And, and I want to talk about this considerably tonight. If you allow that doubt to get into your heart, it will develop or, or it potentially can develop into unbelief. Now, doubt and unbelief are two different things. Doubt leads to unbelief, but doubt are just those fleeting thoughts that come into your mind about, you know, that it's not going to work this time. You're not going to get healed this time. God's not going to come through with that provision. Those are just thoughts of doubt. 
But if you begin to put words to it and believe those thoughts of doubt, they can get down in your heart and it will move into what the Bible calls unbelief. Now, one way that I remember or, or choose to remember unbelief is unbelief is basically a decision not to believe something. Okay. So doubts come and go, but when you have entertained that doubt long enough, it will, it will lead you to a place where you will make a decision to stop believing what it is that, that the word says, or what you had previously released your faith for, or those types of things. Now go over with me to Matthew, the seventh, 17th chapter, rather Matthew 17. And I want to talk about unbelief a little bit, because this is very, very important, because I think a lot of people, particularly maybe in uh, 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 the Word of Faith camp and so forth, um, maybe have, have had some misunderstanding or maybe some misbelief as far as what could be hindering them in their ability to be able to receive from God. So I want to I want to shed some light on this tonight. Matthew chapter 17 and let's look at verse 14. Matthew 17 and verse 14 and then uh if you want to also um turn put your marker there if you want to turn uh, or just have a marker there in Matthew 10, we're going to go back there in just a second. But Matthew 17 verse 14 says this and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to Jesus and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless, okay, faithless, and then uh, my margin, the center margin in my Bible in verse 17, that word faithless should actually be translated unbelieving, unbelieving. Okay. And that's important. <laughs> oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples, so that that scene is over, the disciples come to Jesus privately and they said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. All right. So now let's make some comments. What was the reason that the disciples could not cast the demon out of that boy? Well, Jesus made it very clear. It was because of their unbelief. Now listen to me carefully. Notice mm -hmm. Jesus did not say it was because they did not have enough faith. Mm -hmm. He said it was not a faith problem. It was an unbelief problem because he went on mm -hmm. to follow it up uh, by saying basically in verse 20, 
You know, he said, for assuredly, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain. In other words, mm -hmm. what Jesus said to them was this. Unbelief was your problem, not a lack of faith, because if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you have enough to get the job done. And I'm going to add this, as long as it's not contaminated by your unbelief. Okay, so this is very, very important. So Jesus did not say they did not have enough faith, but that seems to be the answer that we give people sometimes when their faith doesn't seem to be working. Well, you just need to develop your faith or you need more faith. And so, uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches. You have enough faith. The problem is not a faith shortage, but an unbelief issue. Okay, so we we do need to grow and we do need to develop our faith. Uh, but I believe that most of the time what we deal with is an issue of unbelief. So let's dive into this and, and let's look at this. Now, I want you to turn back with me to Matthew chapter 10, please. Matthew chapter 10, and let's look at verse 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5. So let's let's back up and let's see what happened with the disciples here. So Matthew 10, verse 5, it says this, These 12, meaning the 12 disciples, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received and freely give. And then, of course, he gave them some other instructions. Now, what I want you to see is specifically Jesus sent them out saying that they could heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus would ever send somebody out on an assignment to do any of these things and not give them the equipment, the empowerment, the anointing necessary to do those things? Well, the answer no. to that is no. He is going to, to give the power that's necessary. So my point is this. The disciples had everything that they needed to do this, to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Now, go over with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. So I want to ask you a question. How does faith come? By mm -hmm. hearing the word of God. So they heard Jesus' assignment and those four things that they were able to do. So they had faith to be able to perform the words that Jesus spoke to them. How do we know that? Well, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, it says this, uh, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they brought back a report to Jesus that, hey, Lord, we went out and we were successful. We were able to uh, heal the sick, 
cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. We were able to cast out demons because we, we recognize that. And so even the demons were subject to us in your name. So the disciples had been experiencing success in doing that ministry, which included casting out demons. Are you, are you seeing that? Do you see that with mm -hmm. me? Okay. All right. Now, again, going back to the story that we read in Mark, uh, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus did not say they could not cast out the demon or the reason that they could not cast out the demon was because of a lack of faith. He said it was because of their unbelief. And as I pointed out, Jesus mentioned that if you have faith, the size of a grain of mustard seed, it is sufficient to get the job done. So they had been successful. They had accomplished the mission. So faith was present. The anointing was present. And of course, when you get the two of those together, it will accomplish whatever the Lord wants it to accomplish. Now, notice what Jesus said. Go back with me to Matthew, the 17th chapter. So again, in Matthew 17, in verse 20, Jesus said to them, uh, they asked him, why couldn't we cast the demon out? And he said, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So in, in this little illustration that Jesus gives them, the mountain represents problems or challenges in life that just seem to be huge. I don't know if you've ever faced a huge problem before, but I have. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus is saying is that it doesn't take an equal amount of faith to move a mountain. In other words, you don't have to have mountain-sized faith to move the mountain. What he's saying is, Faith the size of a grain of mustard seed is more than enough to move the mountain. Why is that? It's because of this. And listen to me carefully. It's not your faith that does the job. It's the power of God that gets released because of your faith. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. It's not your faith per se. Take the pressure off of your faith. It's the power of God that gets released by and through your faith that gets the job done. So, you know, uh, I, 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 I want us, and when I first heard this several years ago, man, it really helped me because um, it took so much pressure off of my faith in the sense of, because I'll, I'll be honest, I kind of operated with the misconception that in order for me to move, move a mountain, I had to have mountain-sized faith. Well, Jesus just said, no, it doesn't take that. If you have faith, teeny tiny, if you've ever seen a mustard seed, they're tiny. And that is more than enough to get the job done. And, and the main reason why is because it's the power of God that gets released in your faith or through your faith. Okay. So think about this, something as small and insignificant, seemingly size-wise, as a faith-filled word can wither a fig tree. We saw Jesus do that, or according to what Jesus said, it can move a mountain. So faith-filled words 
go out into the realm of the spirit where the root of your problem really is and works on the situation at the root. It's not a ton of faith, but a small mustard seed size of faith that will get the job done. So I say that to you first so that you understand and don't let the devil beat you up and make you think that your faith is insufficient. Now, yeah, you need to develop it. You need to feed it. In other words, let me say this to you. Just like you're not going to go into the gym and bench press 500 pounds if it's your first day in the gym. But if you keep going, and I don't know if that's even realistic, but, but if you keep going and you keep working and keep working and keep moving it, keep using it, keep feeding it, eating the right stuff and so forth and so on, there will come a day when you can bench press a lot. So same is true in the, in the spiritual where your faith is concerned. But I want you to see that your faith is more than enough. Okay. Now, uh, again, Jesus said the issue was in and because of their unbelief. Okay. So the unbelief is what was causing the disciples' faith to be hindered. All right. Now, I want to make a statement to you because I want to help you with something. I'm going to say a couple of things. Number one, the life of faith is not a tug of war. You remember when we were in school, elementary school, and we used to play tug of war where, you know, you had a line and, and a rope and whoever was able to pull the opposing team across the line and so forth. Well, the life of faith is not a tug of war. First of all, the devil is not even on the same level that you are in Christ. And get out of your mind that there's, uh, you know, like the old cartoons used to say where you, you've got God on one shoulder and the devil on another. No, it's not that way at all. God is so far greater and superior to the devil, except the devil doesn't want you to know that. The word of God is far superior to anything that the devil can produce. The power of God is far superior to anything that the devil can produce. So again, the life of faith is not a tug of war, and it's not this battle between faith and unbelief in the sense of where you've got to duke it out with unbelief, all right? So you, what you have to do is just make sure you don't allow unbelief in, all right? So go over with me to Mark's gospel, and let's look at Mark's version of this same story, Mark chapter 9. Because in Mark's version, Jesus gives us a little more information. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. So Jesus and the disciples, by the way, or let me rephrase that. Jesus and Peter, James, and John had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so they come down off of the mountain. And uh, in uh, verse 14, uh, when he came to the disciples, when Jesus came, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Now, I love this. Um, and it says, immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him and greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? In other words, <laughs> and I love this about the Lord. He's like, if you were, if you had a bully in your neighborhood when you were a kid, that like to harass you and give you a hard time. 
and your big brother walks up on the scene and says, hey, what are you talking about with them? In other words, if you got something to talk about, talk about it with me. All right. That's exactly what happened here. So it says, and uh, Jesus walked up in verse 16 and he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Because he knew that the scribes could out-talk the disciples, but he they, they could not out-talk Jesus, okay? <laughs> and so then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples and they could not cast it out or, or that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, oh, faithless. And again, that's unbelieving. Oh, unbelieving generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him, the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Now, <laughs> I heard a pastor, it was Robert Morris at Gateway that said this, and I've loved this ever since. You know, what I kind of picture in this is where <laughs> Jesus is standing here talking to the father and, and, you know, it's kind of like on Andy Griffith, you ever remember where you see Andy and he'll get an apple or something and pull his pocket knife out and start cutting on that apple and eating little bits of it while he's talking to somebody. So here's this, get this picture in your mind. Here's this little boy flopping around on the ground like a fish out of water because this demon is making him convulse and all this stuff. And Jesus starts talking to the father. And I just imagine he pulls out his pocket knife and start cutting on an apple. And he says this. He says, how long has this been happening to him? And so he, he starts this conversation with the father and the father said from childhood and often he's thrown them both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So Jesus said to him, the father, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. Now I want to want you to pay attention to what this father did, and he didn't know any better, okay? But what he did is he tried to take the burden of responsibility off of him and put it over on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And notice what Jesus did. Jesus just straight flipped the script and put it right back on him. He said, you know, like what a lot of religious people do, well, you know, the Lord moves in mysterious ways and his wonders to perform. And if God's going to do anything for my little boy, well, he'll just go ahead and do it. And if not, well, I guess it just wasn't his will. And so that's kind of what he was saying. And Jesus comes back to him and says this, no, no, no. If you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. So in other words, what Jesus says is, no, it's not me, it's you, and if you will believe, there's no limit to what can happen if you will believe. And so let's look what happened. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, Lord, I'm doing the best that I can, and, and, and I can just see Jesus in his mercy appreciated that. I mean, that's honest. Lord, I'm doing the best I can. Help me where I'm coming up short is where what the man was saying. 
And so let's look at what Jesus said. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to a deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Then notice Jesus' response. Uh, so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now notice Mark leaves out what Matthew put in there about the because of your unbelief. But he adds to it by saying, that Jesus responded and said, hey, this kind could come out uh, by nothing but prayer and fasting. All right. So the disciples, now keep in mind, had the disciples been successful in casting out demons in the past? Yes. Yes, they had. We saw that in Luke chapter 10. So they had been successful with this same exact situation before. But Mark gives us some additional light that contributed to the unbelief of the disciples and kept them from being able to cast this demon out. Now, I want to give you these three things, okay? And write these down if you don't have the notes printed out. Get this, okay? Number one, they were trying to cast the demon out in front of a large group of people. Now, I'm going to explain these in just a moment, but here's the three things, the three contributing factors that led to the unbelief in the disciples. They were trying to cast the demon out in front of a large group of people. Okay, you got that? All right. They were, try they were trying to cast the demon out in front of a large group of people. Number two, their critics were standing right there disputing with them while they were trying to do this. Now, I'll, I'll repeat that in just a second. Let me say this to you. They had tried to cast the demon out because if they had not tried, then they wouldn't have come to Jesus and said, why couldn't we do it? Okay, so they had tried, but their critics were standing right there disputing with them while they were trying to cast the demon out. So the naysayers were right there in their face disputing with them while they were trying to cast the demon out. All right, now number three is this. When the father brought the child to the disciples, the spirit probably responded to them by throwing the boy down in front of them, just like it did with Jesus. Notice, you remember what happened when, when the boy saw Jesus, it fell down, started convulsing, had an epileptic seizure, so forth and so on. And you can rest assured that that probably happened when the disciples tried to deal with it because the devil's just all hot air. I mean, he's, he's going to put on a show whenever he can. Okay. So, so those three things were the contributing factors. 
Now here, let me sum it up by this, okay? And this is hugely, hugely important. Listen to me carefully. The unbelief came into the hearts of the disciples when they had the report of their eyes, the report of their fears, and the report of their critics. I'm going to say it again. The unbelief was allowed to come in to the hearts of the disciples to shut them down when they had the report of their eyes, the report of their fears, and the report of their critics. And see, what happened is they allowed the pressure of those three things to enter in and allow the unbelief to surpass the power and the anointing of God that was already on their lives to be able to perform what Jesus had told them and anointed them to do the work, okay? So it's very, very important that you understand the gateways that that unbelief came into the hearts of the disciples, okay? The report of their eyes, the report of what they were afraid of, and then the report of their critics. Now, here's what I want you to see and. And we'll talk more about this in just a second. The way that unbelief is going to, to get into your heart and to shut your faith down is through the report of what you see, the report of what you're afraid of, and the report of what other people will think. I'm going to say that again. What will lead to unbelief in your heart is the report of what you see with your eyes, your natural eyes, the report of, of fears, and then the report of what other people think about you. And when you allow those things to get in, uh, it is going to shut your faith down. Okay? Now, Jesus rolls up on the scene. After, after this encounter with the disciples had initially taken place, Jesus rolls up on the scene. And here's what you need to understand about Jesus. He did not care what the people thought. Mm -mm. Okay? He did not care what the scribes thought. He, didn't, he wasn't the least bit interested in what their opinion of him was. He did not and was not moved by the report of what he saw happening to the boy. Okay, so when the boy, the demon shows up or, or you know, the boy is brought to Jesus, the demon starts showing out. And this was my point in saying that about Jesus getting his pocket knife out. He wasn't phased by that at all. In other words, the, the thought never crossed his mind. Now, listen to me. When that demon started showing out, the thought never crossed Jesus' mind of, I wonder if it will work this time. Okay? And listen, I've been there. I've been there when I've been, you know, trying to minister deliverance to someone and that, you know, that demon is manifesting itself and the thought crosses your mind. Boy, I sure hope I can get the job done this time. Okay? Big mistake. All right, because what you've done is you started to open the door to unbelief to be able to enter in, okay? And then Jesus was only concerned, listen to me carefully, he was only concerned about doing what pleased the Heavenly Father 
and doing the word of God. Now, here's something very, very important. Jesus had schooled, had trained himself in how to not be moved by his emotions or by the emotions of the people when ministering to someone. You remember what was their response after the devil left the boy? They, they all thought he was dead. Can you, can you imagine what the response was from the people? Oh, my gosh, Jesus just killed that little boy. I can't believe he killed that little boy. The little boy's dead. And then I, oh, I can imagine some, you know, just began to freak out. That didn't phase Jesus at all. He was not moved by the emotions of the people, okay? And uh, when he was ministering to someone, he never let their responses dictate to him what he was going to do. And you've heard me talk about Smith Wigglesworth, uh, mm -hmm. the great man of God in the early 20th century. He had trained himself to do the same thing, okay? He was not moved by what the people thought about him, their emotional responses. He was only moved by what the Holy Spirit told him to do and, and fulfilling mm -hmm. the will, plan, and purpose of God, okay? So just like, get this now, just mm -hmm. like faith is fed, unbelief is fed, just like faith can grow, unbelief can grow. Now, how does unbelief grow? Unbelief grows by listening to the reports of the people. Unbelief grows by listening and paying attention to the reports of the circumstances. And unbelief grows and is fed by what you can see with your five physical senses. Okay? Now, I'm not saying, and don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying God expects you to turn into a robot. Jesus was not a robot. The Bible says he's easily touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But listen, he's not moved by those things. Okay? So, let me give you some scriptures. Just write this down because we're running out of time. Mm -hmm. But I want to just give you some scripture references that talk about unbelief. Okay? So, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58, Matthew 13, verse 58, it says, now he did not do many mighty works there, talking about his hometown, because of their unbelief. Their unbelief is what shut them down, not their lack of faith. I'm going to say that again. It was the unbelief of the people in his hometown that, that tied his hands and kept him from being able to work in their lives, not their lack of faith. Mark chapter 6 and verse 6, Mark's version of the same circumstances, it says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, two things I want to point out about this scripture. There's two things that caused Jesus to marvel that we see in the New Testament. Number one was great faith. And by the way, the only people that demonstrated great faith that Jesus commented on were all Gentiles, no Jews, okay? So that's remarkable. But then the other thing that, that was remarkable in Jesus' thinking was uh, the people's unbelief in Nazareth that tied his hands. And then it says, he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So I want to just make this comment. Jesus' response to the unbelief of the people was to 
combat that with the word of God. In other words, he began immediately when he saw their unbelief, he began immediately. Okay, I've got to teach them what the word says. So he began touring around to all the little villages up there in Nazareth in the northern part of Israel and began to teach them what the word said to try and drive out that unbelief. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 14, Mark 16, verse 14, it says this, that later, and this is after his resurrection, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. You remember there was the women that saw Jesus after he was resurrected. And uh, so they came back and told the disciples, well, listen, the disciples had made a decision. I'm not going to believe that until I see him. That is not faith. Listen to me. You don't need faith when you can see the results. Mm -hmm. Faith is only required when you don't see the results yet. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you know, and I've said this many times, Jesus, and I counted in the gospels, at least a half a dozen times, Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen. He told mm -hmm. them, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to, they're going to kill me. But on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Meet me in Galilee after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And guess what? There was not one disciple waiting at the tomb to see if he was resurrected or there to greet him at his resurrection. And none of them went to Galilee to meet him. They only went to Galilee after Jesus appeared to some of the disciples and said, go to Galilee and I'll talk to you there. Okay. Mm. Now, Hebrews chapter three and verse 19, uh, Paul talking about the children of Israel and their lack or, or inability to be able to enter into the promised land, what kept them out of the promised land was their unbelief. Not a faith problem. The faith was present, but it was squashed by their unbelief. Okay? So how do you stop unbelief? I need to wrap this up. The way that you stop unbelief is to starve it to death. Quit feeding your unbelief. Okay? Starve it and feed your faith. Okay? All right? Now, um, I want to go back. Uh, go back with me quickly to Mark Matthew 17, please. And I want to teach, just to show you just one thing. So you don't misunderstand, Matthew 17, verse 19. The disciples came to him and asked him again, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I want you to understand something very clearly here. Prayer and fasting does not drive out demons. The name of Jesus is what drives out demons. Prayer and fasting 
only has to do with your relationship with God and not driving out unbelief. Okay, now what am I saying? In other words, when you fast and pray, what Jesus was saying is, if you will fast and pray, it will cause you to draw closer to God in your relationship with him and thus drive out the unbelief. But you don't fast and pray for the purpose of trying to get rid of unbelief or to cast out demons. No, you, you fast and pray as a support and as a, a, an act of worship or in part of your relationship with God. Okay. So just to sum up what we're saying, I don't want you to think that if something is not working, if you're not receiving answers to your prayers, that it's a faith problem. It could be that your faith is not developed, but you have enough faith. What you need to make sure is that the unbelief, that there is no unbelief present, and that unbelief is sapping your faith from being able to work for you. Okay? Mm. All right? Um, okay. We'll end right there. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church Podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.